you've read the Building Thinking Classrooms book, you're ready to get started, but need help working through exactly what you're going to do, the nitty gritty of setting up a Building Thinking Classroom, this is for you. Hello, and welcome to Making Number Sense Make Sense, a podcast for elementary teachers, specifically early elementary teachers, looking to really make an impact in the number sense of their students. If you're here, I think you've read the Building Thinking Classrooms book and have heard teachers raving about it, and you are ready to get started. Now, I read this book last year. I did it for an entire year. And I have a previous episode all about my results. If you're curious about how it worked out, spoiler, it worked out awesome. But there's lots of little nitty gritty things that you need to think about in order to make it work in your classroom. And I'm going to share with you those things today. The first thing you need is a place for your students to work. Now, if you're in a K-2 classroom, you're going to want enough spaces for each pair. If you're in a three and above, you're going to need spaces for each trio. Now, for younger kids, I have had them work in trios before if I had an odd number of students or something like that. It did not work as well. It really didn't. They're still working on developing group work mentality and having being able to share work and space and the marker between three people. So two people definitely works best, but it can work with three people. So you're going to need to think about the spaces or where they're going to be working. What vertical non-permanent surfaces are they going to be using and what materials do you need together? Now, speaking of materials, you're going to need a vertical non-permanent surface. Now, I was really lucky the school that I was in just got renovated, so they did have whiteboards all over the place. I realized that is not the case for everyone. So what you can use instead is a dry erase sleeve and paper. Now their workspace is not as big, but it's definitely something you can use and it can makeshift any corner into a space where they can potentially work. And overall, the biggest thing is that they're standing. I did have some spaces that were not vertical. I just didn't have the area. It was just a U table that was flat. But if the kids were sitting down, they did not stick with it as long as if they were standing up. So once I removed the chairs, even though it wasn't vertical, not ideal, it still worked out. So make sure that your surface is non-permanent and that your kids can stand when they are working. You'll also need erasers, big thing, <laughs> erasers for them. Uh, so dry erase markers, erasers, vertical non-permanent surface. I also used magnetic clips to clip the dry erase sleeve, so that's something you might want to consider if you're looking into making your own spaces. And the last thing that I used is your partner cards. Now I have these um, color-coded partner cards that you can get for free at the link below along with a task that you might want to try, but when I was randomizing, which brings me to my next step, choose your randomizing method. Now I used classroom screen for computer-generated um, partnerships or the partner cards. I started off with partner cards and the kids definitely preferred picking an actual physical card than getting a computer generalized partner. For a while, I think they really secretly thought that I was still picking their partners, but I definitely wasn't. But even towards the end when they understood that I'm not picking it, it just kind of spits out partnerships. 
they preferred the cards. So I would suggest using cards. The next thing you're going to want to do is pick your schedule. When are you going to do building thinking classrooms? I'm not sure if there's a right or a wrong way, but I'm just going to tell you what I did and how it worked out for me. So I did my big building thinking classroom task on Mondays. My reason for Monday is because it was a weird schedule. I had a double special, so there wasn't a lot of time to get into a full math workshop or anything like that, but the perfect amount of time to get into a task, give them work time, give them time to consolidate, consolidate their learning. So that just was what worked out for me. So I did a full building thinking classroom session once a week and I sprinkled in different partnership activities throughout the week when we were doing other things and that really worked out for the kids to practice the social skills involved with working in a partnership and they came to prefer working in partners versus working on their own and I was all right with it. I'm okay with it. I would prefer them working together, especially working on the social skills, which is so big for young kids and it's something that is really challenging for them. Now, I was a little concerned about like, how are they learning this? Like when they have to do an assessment, they're going to have to work on their own. They're not going to be able to work with a partner. I didn't need to have worried because they did fabulous on their assessments working on their own. But I think the, the experience of having a year full of being really creative thinkers and listening to other people and gaining other ideas really helped them to be able to take that and apply it to new situations, especially even if they were working on their own. So I wouldn't worry too much about that, especially for younger kids. Their assessments are not as high stakes, especially if you're in the United States when high stakes, high stakes testing doesn't really start until third grade. They're in kindergarten, first grade, second grade. They don't necessarily need to be so concerned about that. They won't have to do that. So I kind of just let that go. The next thing you're going to want to think about is defining your goals with your students and how you want your classroom to run. So you need to picture in your in your head, if you had a perfect problem solving session, what would that look like? So I'll describe to you kind of what I envisioned and then you might think about how you might use that for your classroom and how you might tweak it. So when I thought of the perfect problem solving session, I wanted to see both partners discussing discussing the problem. I wanted to see both partners sharing the marker and really listening to each other. I wanted to see kids who, if for some reason they needed to go to the bathroom, get a drink of water, they would go do that really quickly and come back, not necessarily needing to ask for permission, but just kind of go, let it be free flowing. That's not the case for all teachers who want that, but that's kind of what I wanted. And I wanted them to be really respectful to each other and listen to each other and understand that your partner might have some valuable input, but also your classmates might have some valuable input, that your classmates are a great resource for you to use, and that if you were a partner and you noticed another team, another group looking at your paper or looking at your, excuse me, um, whiteboard, that you didn't assume they were trying to copy you. You wanted to assume that they were trying to think of an idea from you that might help them solve their problem. I also kind of wanted them to be able to flow in and out in a purposeful way. So what I mean by that is I wanted the kids to be able to, if they were really stuck, they could ask me. They didn't usually ask me. They preferred to ask another group what they were doing or kind of how they were solving the problem. And they listened better to each other than they ever did to me for something like that. So 
listening to a peer and how they figured it out really supported them in growing their own thinking. So I wanted them to have the freedom to be able to move around the room and get ideas from other kids. Now, my caveat is it did not start like that. They started more in their spaces. And then once they got the hang of it and understood that if I'm going somewhere else, it's for support. It's not to just talk to my friend who's on the other side of the classroom. That's kind of what I envisioned. So to make that work, I really needed the kids to practice sharing their marker. I needed them to practice talking to each other. I needed them to practice understanding that they had a common goal and working towards that goal. So when it came to my tasks, especially my non-curricular tasks, that's kind of what my focus was. My focus was focus concentrating on one outcome. Our goal is to do X and we need to work together to make that happen. My goal another for another non-curricular task was sharing the marker. I had them do intervals like you have it for a minute, you have it for a minute. I didn't love that just because it ended up being more work for me to kind of like set the timer or make sure that it was working or make sure that they were switching. I wanted it to be more free flowing. So I started that way. So they got a kind of a feel of it, but needed to make sure that both of them had the marker. I also wanted them to practice getting to the right space. If you've taught kindergarten, you know that especially at the beginning of the year, it's like herding cats, trying to get the kids to walk in a line, all face the right way. It's it's a mess and it requires a lot of practice. So that was another thing I wanted them to focus on. Like I gave them something super engaging to do once they got to their space, but they needed to make sure that they found their partner and figured out what space they were supposed to be at. So I think the task that I used for that was I said, there's a box of blocks in your space. You need to find the right space and see if you can build the tallest tower that you can together. And so they were really motivated to get over there. They found their partner right away, went to their space. And that practice really helped them get used to how to get started. So thinking about what you want and what you might see, those are things you want to think about, how you want the classroom to look and how you want it to run and what tasks or what items you might need to do in order to make that happy game of tasks. That was kind of your next step. Figure out how you want your tasks to work, what access you want kids to have to manipulatives, how they go about getting them. Can they just get anything that they need? Are you putting stuff out for them? Kind of those little things to make it really Flow. And speaking of the non-curriculars, I really feel like the non-curricular tasks job was to get us in the routine of getting to the right space, working with any partner, and, and really listening to each other and being a partner. So those are my first tasks that I did with the kids, were, had those things in mind, really not too much to do with math at all. And because we laid that groundwork, once we started to get into more curricular tasks, they had the routine down. They knew what to do. They knew where to go. They knew that even if this partner was not my best friend that I wanted to really work with, they might get their best friend next time. And it's just for today. Next time you'll get a new partner, any new partner. So that's what worked out for me. Now, if you're wanting some ideas for tasks, I will leave below some links to some really helpful teacher collaboration groups that are working on building thinking classrooms. I'll also send you a link to a blog post that I did about some of my tasks and kind of how I go about doing them. And if you're looking for an example of a free task, you can get that at the description below as well. If you have any questions, make sure to send me an email or you can DM me on Instagram. I am happy to help you and help you talk through what you need to get started for a successful year of building thinking classrooms.